Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. We're going to have a... um, I, I, I do this every so often on the show, uh, but we are going to have a, a guest, uh, and, and he will be appearing in the, uh, in the second half of the show. And, you know, we, we, we talk about center-left radio as the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. Well, this is an individual, and you'll, you'll meet him a little later, uh, who basically makes me recognize what hope is uh, in, uh, in, in, in the way it operates on our planet, in America, in uh, the central Hudson Valley today. One of these people that just gives you a lot of hope about a lot of different things. Uh, and when you hear his story, you'll, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but that's for just a little later in the show. Stay with us. Um, And stay with us, obviously, listening to us as a podcast or listening to us as a radio loop. Those are your two choices, you know, uh, whenever you go to www.centerlefttalkradio.com. Two links, the first, the podcast, the second, the radio link. You know what that is if you're a regular listener. It's basically hitting a link as if you turn the radio on and picked up the show at whatever point it is. Let it pique your interest. Get involved with us. Stick around. It'll repeat if you didn't come in at the very beginning. Odds are you didn't. And uh, it's sort of the old analog experience, but uh, using digital means uh, to uh, recreate it. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people enjoy doing it that way. And we keep both methods available to you. Um, Just some thoughts. You're hearing an awful lot. Everyone's hearing an awful lot these days about uh, the uh, whatever whatever the deal is with uh, documentation that was found at an office that Joe Biden uh, occupied or was or had access to uh, after his vice presidency with uh, Barack Obama, and then additional documents, and, and all these documents, some of them having some security clearance issues, secrecy issues. And, and of course, uh, this stuff that has been around and been at these locations for many years, and, and one would have to assume Uh, probably relatively uh, stale information, stale in terms of any current activity that would have been expressed in these documents. And with with what little information we have so far, the documents basically wound up where they wound up uh, by the activities of staff working on behalf of Mr. Biden. 
And of course, Republicans jumping up and down, hair on fire, looking for an opportunity to say, well, you know, you're, you're jumping around, you, you, you went and you raided Mar-a-Lago. Well, what about, you know, Joe Biden? And, and lo and behold, and we, we ought to have a special prosecutor for him. And what happens very shortly thereafter? Merrick Garland goes ahead and appoints a special prosecutor. Yeah, uh, and, and, and just, just slaps that special prosecutor uh, uh, to go and figure out what's going on. Well, uh, by all accounts so far, and, and again, anything could be possible, but as you know and we know Joe Biden, and as you know and we know uh, Donald, the circumstances couldn't be more different. Yes, the similarity is that there are classified documents where they shouldn't be. That's for certain. But of course, in America, insofar as criminality is concerned and, and the possibility that laws were broken, everything rests on intent. And the raid that was done at, uh, at Mar-a-Lago was basically because the intent was <coughs> clearly <coughs> shown to be on the part of Donald and those around him <coughs> that there was a desire to withhold, a conscious desire to withhold documentation that did not belong with them and a hell of a lot of documentation, and even after the raid, more documentation, and on and on and on. The circumstances, it would be hard to further differentiate the circumstances in the two situations. Now, Republicans, understandably and reflexively, are going to make as much hay out of this as they possibly can. That's, that's uh, understandable. But I'll, I'll, there's another wrinkle to be added to this. Since all of this happened, a national poll came out in which uh, there was a hypothetical matchup between Donald and uh, Joe Biden for, for running for president in 2024. I forget the name of the poll, but it's one of these uh, polls that basically regularly comes out uh, and only deals primarily with presidential uh, potentials. And this poll, and again, you know, we're, we're, we're what? We're, we're how many, we're, we're a little less than two years out from the election at this point. It'll be, what, November of 2024. This is January of 2023. So we're talking about uh, 22 or 23 months. We're 20, yeah, we're 22 months out from the election. Nothing, nothing definitive can be said, honestly, and, and politically at this point, except that we know that Donald is on the verge of being indicted and a number of other things will be coming down relative to him, that everybody is afraid to throw their hat in the ring officially on the Republican side because no one wants to be the first one to be attacked by Donald. And you know exactly how this is all going to go down once other Republicans who are chafing at the bit to do this finally do it. They're actually doing it out of... They're afraid of the guy. Okay, 
and he still can hurt them. And all of that is, is, is being factored into their behavior. But then this, consider the results of this poll that just came out. If the election were to happen today, Donald Trump loses by nine full percentage points. Not, not one or two. He loses by more than he lost in 2020. And that's now. That's before the first indictments come down. That's, be, that's after everything, and I'm, I'm guessing, but there could be more, but after the entire, well, Joe's got uh, documents, and uh, Merrick Garland, God bless him, has appointed a special prosecutor, and everybody knows damn well how that story is going to end that basically Biden will get, well, you know, that was sloppy record-keeping on someone's part. Joe, maybe you should have been more aware of that. Yes, we should basically review the, uh, the, the uh, disposition of secret documents that are in the hands of the office of president and vice president uh, once they are leaving office. We need to have better blah, blah, blah. We need to have better controls, and we certainly do. But what will not be there, and I will say this with absolute certainty, is, and Joe had the intention to secret these things and hold on to them and use them and was lying about where they were and lied to the National Archives and lied to the FBI and then moved things around. No, that's Donald. You see, that's Donald. That's that's. A different mentality. It's a different fear. With Donald, it's evidence of intent. It's criminality. It's sitting there. It's staring at you. It's, it's enough. What, what Joe did was enough for Merrick Garland to say, oh, uh, yeah, yes, yes, in the interest of, of, of equity, of equi equitable treatment, fair treatment, I'll, I'll give Joe his own special prosecutor as well. And we know where it's going. But, but what that also tells a lot of people, myself included, that the first major move of a, beyond allowing the raid of Mar-a-Lago, the, the first reaction, if you will, the first aftermath activity isn't to go ahead and drop indictments when they are the most obvious things, when it's the most obvious thing in the world that should be coming next based on everything that has been revealed about these documents. No, the first move that Merrick Garland makes after everything else is to basically put Joe Biden under the same legal scrutiny by means of a special prosecutor. And, and that's a, that's a, I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to say I'm being even-handed. He's still going on and using the same preparatory methodologies for putting a case together that you might use in a, uh, in a racketeering or a mob a trial situation, which can take years and years to put. But there's a point at which you know, Merritt, please pay attention to the perceptions that you're causing within the American public. 
If this is what you're, if this is what you're doing, if this is what you consider to be the single most important thing to do at this point, to basically slap a, an equivalency uh, in the form of a special prosecutor on a current president of the United States. You get it? Current president, criminal, all those words. You know, there, there are no criminal, um, you, can't, you can't indict for criminality, even if, even if you found any, he is a sitting president. And yet, you manage to get the word criminal in there to make who happy to do... This is the same guy who we just found out would beat Donald by nine points if it happened today. Merritt, where is your zest and zeal and your public servant uh, you know, mannerism and, 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 and your drive to do and to see that justice is done and done equally? Where is it when it comes to reacting to all of the information you already have? Okay? Where is it with the information that the special prosecutor that you've put in charge of everything else for Donald, specifically here, everything involved with January 6th, where is that information? Why are we simply getting a special prosecutor riding herd over Joe with a result that we all can predict? Why is that the first thing? If nothing else, I mean, anyone with half a brain knows where it's going. But people now also are beginning to judge you, Merritt. And you're being shown, or it's easy to draw the conclusion that there's a weakness in you. That there's a fear in you of doing the job that you claim you're prepared to do. That no one is above the law, and that Donald or anyone else will be given fair and equal and even-handed treatment and dealt with precisely, and, and any punishment that may be coming down will be equally doled out as it would be to any other American. Can you honestly believe that? When the first, first person, the first reaction to uh, hearing about what's happened with uh, these documents from Joe is to basically slap a special prosecutor on a sitting American president just so the appearance of even-handedness is there. Where's the appearance of equity? Why is Donald still running around without an orange jumpsuit at this point? Why are you allowing the perception that this guy is absolutely the Teflonist of the Teflonist Dons to continue? This, this can't go much further. And, and we talked about this on the last show. But I'll mention this again. If, if the state of Georgia, okay, if, if Fannie Willis, the, uh, the district attorney for, uh, in, in, for Atlanta, essentially, if she basically brings an indictment first based on the obvious criminality of, the, of Trump's effort to throw the election uh, within the state of Georgia based on the telephone call he had with Brad Raffensperger... If her indictment comes down first, you're not going to look so great, 
Merit, you're, you're, you're really going to look like you were absolutely purpose. History will record you as dragging your feet. Even if you race, if you race forward after that and you quickly get something going, it's going to look ugly. At this point, simply because you now have put that special prosecutor in place on a sitting American president. It's just, it, it's unseemly. And is again, I, I get that you were, you know, oh, well, I, I, I don't want to seem as though I'm just going after Donald. What? The guiltiest human being in the world, more, more evidence against him, more evidence of his intent, more evidence of his action than anything we could possibly imagine. That it, It's a prosecutor's dream what you have on this guy. And your first major action is not to indict Donald, but to stick a prosecutor, a special prosecutor on Joe for stuff that got into an office during the period or at the end of the period of his vice presidency. And come on, I mean, really? Okay, you know, it's done. We still know that Joe would beat the hell out of Donald and will if, if God forbid, Donald actually winds up running. I mean, that's going to be uh, an insane asylum situation. But we've got to get some action here, folks. Some, some, some true, honest justice needs to be done. Donald cannot just skate free indefinitely. Someone must indict. And, and, and if I'm going to bet on this one, I'm going to say that Fannie Willis uh, in, in Atlanta looks like she's going to beat Merritt Garland to the punch. And honestly, Merritt, that's not a good look for you. You ought to be in a position to do something. And if it's the argument is that, well, you know, we, we, we are very careful, we put our cases together very carefully, Mar-a-Lago is staring you in the face there. All the elements are there. It's been discussed a thousand times over, and yet it's still just floating, and the first thing you do is do an equivalent special prosecution or a, a special prosecutor to oversee Joe Biden, sitting American president. You're going to have to do better, Merritt. You're really going to have to do a hell of a lot better than that uh, because you'll be judged rather harshly. Now, now the Democrats... It's, it's not like the Democrats are bereft of other stuff to go at. I mean, the whole debacle of, uh, of, of, of Kevin McCarthy and, and how many votes and 14 or 15 votes and all of this happening leading up to the swearing-in of members, including George Santos, and on and on. Santos is from a public relations point of view for the Democrats, my God, he is the gift that keeps on giving. The man is clearly out of his, his bonkers, for starters. He will be found to have violated some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, information generation laws connected with his candidacy. There's more and more evidence day by day that there's some kind of connection to a Russian oligarch. This is coming out in the papers. For God's sake, have the brains to get McCarthy and company, have the brains to get rid of this guy. No. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. Why? We'll, we, we'll, we'd rather operation of law 
We'd rather it was, well, we can't keep him in because he violated federal. The same thing they're looking for vis-a-vis Trump. Well, we can't have him because hopefully if the Mar-a-Lago case were finally to go to a jury, part of the penalty under one of the three main statutes that Trump has violated of the Espionage Act is that he could never hold public office in the United States. Well, we can't. We can't be. We, we couldn't do anything about it. Please, 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 rabid base don't hold this against us. The law says that we can't, we can't do a damn thing on our own. We want, please let the law and the Constitution and honesty and good government operate to, to, to do for us what we, as the government, refuse to do for you, American people. Yeah, yeah, it's a sick joke. It's ridiculous, it's, it's weakness, it's weaklings, but they're counting on their enemies, the Democrats, the good guys, basically to do for them what they are, what they do, what they lack, the gumption, the honesty, the ethics, the cuyones, to do for themselves. Get rid of Santos, get rid of Trump. Please, please, Democrats, please, please, Democratic uh, Attorney General, please, please, operation of law, please, Constitution, please, that thing that we were willing to trash when we came back before and after the insurrection on January 6th, when the majority of us here in the House still voted basically not to certify the election of Joe Biden. Please, please, for all that we're willing to do to destroy this country, please, America, please, American law, please, American history, please, ethics, please, norms, rise up and take us away or past our own failings, and please solve our problems for us. That's, that's what this is. And it may very well all come to pass that way, but we cannot allow the fact that that will be how they get out of this. We can't let that not be seen by the American people. We cannot allow that not to be understood. And even without any of that, remember, right where we are right now, Biden beats Trump by nine points. And it's only going to get worse as the indictments start coming down. The Republicans know this, and they can bitch and moan and try to uh, false, for, you know, formulate false equivalencies about, about Biden and Trump and the documentation. They know where this is going. They know where this Congress is going. Nowhere. They know that there's nothing that they're going to accomplish. They know there's nothing that they're capable of accomplishing because they have no great images for the country. They know they're not going to deal with immigration. They'll block that, and they'll simply keep pointing to buses being sent up from the Texas border by beloved, beloved, uh, uh, the beloved governor of Texas and everyone else who doesn't want to deal with this. you got to deal with this stuff. Republicans don't deal. Republicans blame. 
It's a shame. That's what it's been reduced to. Uh, with you know the the more the moral equivalence of, of June bugs at, at this, this stage in the game, it'll play out. Uh, it, it, we've got to watch it all play out. It's going to keep going the way it's going right now. Um, more uh, events, vari variations on events, foolishness, uh, uh, ugliness. It, it's uh, more accusations. Anything. And and once the other candidates start jumping into the ring. Uh, watching Donald attempting to destroy them and calling on his minions. Uh, it, <sighs> that's why they play the games. But we have to get through this to become better, to evolve, to become a better nation at this point. It's difficult to, to think that we can't do it in some more direct way, but this is the next test. We are in the middle of the next test of our experiment, the great American democracy, liberal democracy, Jeffersonian, Madisonian democracy. We are, we are moving on to the next phase of experimentation. We are watching more change. We are welcoming, we are, we are dealing with, we are, we are working through the next plateau, the next, the next chapter of the changes that come with living through an experiment. And that's what we are, an experiment. I, for one, still feel that we can do rather well within the context of this experiment. And if you'll stick with me and meet enjoy listening to my, my special guest coming up in just a moment. I, I think you may wind up feeling a lot more positive about our chances of making it through this next phase, the one that we're in right now, of the great American experiment. Stay with us, please, and we'll be back after a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to center-left radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. You're listening to Central F Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. And you're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word centerlefttalkradio.com. As I say, this is center-left radio. We call it the progressive voice of hope, politics, and and jazz. And every so often, just just every so often, we do a show or an interview that that really has at its core, at its meaning, uh, talking about hope. And, and 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 I think that's that's very much uh, the flavor of the interview I'd like to do right now with a, with a dear friend. Uh, let, let, me, let me give you a little background, a little background here. Uh, if you were living in the area where I am, uh, and this is sort of, let's just call it Central uh, Hudson Valley, within a, within a certain area, if you were to walk into any business in that area, uh, within, a, within a given sphere, and stick your head in and say something to the, the, the shop owner or, or anyone or a waiter or so, wherever you happen to be. Say, have you seen Keith? Those are the only words you have to say. Have you seen Keith? The first reaction you will get will be a smile. And, 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 and this is not the type of thing you normally... It, it's not the standard situation. 
Uh, think of anyone you know. Stick your head into a local store where they go. Ask their name and see what the reaction is. And usually it'll be a, a yes or no or shrug. If you ask about seeing Keith Alexander, the reaction you're going to get is a smile. Because this is one of these people who basically puts one on your face. He is so lit up and always that way. I mean, he's not a, he's not a huge, big guy. He's kind of short, I guess. And, and he's not young, but I, I don't know how old he is. He's, he's, he's Keith. And there's something about him. Now, I, I, I will just give you one other detail other than that. The last time I saw Keith, uh, we were sitting down, and he said, Rich, you've got to see something. And he took out his, uh, his cell phone, and he said, I want you to see an interview that my son Stefan just did with Deepak Chopra. Okay, now, now that's, that's as much as I'm going to tell you, and, 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 and a lot more of this, obviously, is going to be coming from Keith himself. Rather than running this out any longer, the introduction, Keith, welcome to Center Left Radio. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Yes, yeah. Um, as, as anyone listening can tell, uh, your, your, your vocal pattern tells you, or tells me, or would tell, I think, almost anyone, that you are a guy from the Caribbean, from, uh, from Trinidad and Tobago, to be exact, right? That's right. Okay. And, and the reason you and I know each other is because, basically... You have sold or leased to me, I can't count how many cars over the course of years. Uh, from, and I guess we can, we, can mention the, we can mention the company, I suppose. Uh, you know, yeah, Honda. Yes, you could. And it's my, my, my favorite vehicle. And uh, I think probably because Keith is one of my favorite people. But, but this is not your standard um, car salesman, Keith. Keith, how, how did you come to wind up in this area selling cars? I mean, well, no, wait, I, I, let me take it a different way. Let me take it a different way. From, from your early days in Trinidad and Tobago, you were a, a, a local kid in Trinidad and Tobago. How do you draw the line between being a kid there and winding up where you are here. What's, what's the connective storyline? How do you go from where you were to here? That's a long story. Yeah, I know. well, I'm, I'm willing to listen to it. <laughs> great, great question. Growing up in the islands in Trinidad as a kid was not an easy gig. Yeah. However, poverty is not the word I want to use. It's unable to provide enough to sustain life. Grew up with, I was, I'm the eldest of seven and grew up in the country. Country, in those we call country, the rural areas yeah. where the poor folks live. And going to school, getting the opportunity to go to school was a big, big problem. Uh. Because is either you could afford or you cannot afford. So I utilized my two days that I could go because I had to stay home 
with my, and help my mother with my siblings. Yeah, yeah. And taking it from there, going, growing up, growing up, and doing odd jobs here and there in the area, you know, to get the extra dollar to help home, you have to help home yeah. because of the fact that things were not easy. Not to say it's a lot better today, a, a lot, lot better. But in those days, it was very, very, very rough. However, those were the good old days. Huh. It's not that we didn't have a good time. Life was hard, but it was easy too. Yeah. Because those were the enjoyable days. Not having a proper pair of shoes to wear or, you know, a nice suit, anything. Didn't distract you from life. It didn't take anything away from life. Yeah. And we, I went through that process, growing up, growing up, growing up. And helping mom and doing things with my siblings and different things. You know, little fears and cares here and there. You know, good times, bad times. But most of it was good times. Yeah. Enjoyable times. And then you go through that transition. And I got blessed somewhere along the line. And I got the opportunity and I became a cop. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's... And I remember the first time you told me about your background as a in law enforcement back in Trinidad and Tobago, I, I had to stop and think and refocus you. Wait a minute. How, how, how did you wind up in law enforcement in Trinidad? I'll give you a joke. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. I had a job that I used to go to work every morning, my little bag in my hand with my lunch, running to catch the bus because in those days, you don't have a car yeah. or a bicycle. You have to catch the local bus. So I'm walking down to go and catch the bus one morning about 6.30, around this time. And I saw this long line in front of the police station. Over here, they call it the precinct. Back in the islands, they call it the police station. Uh-huh. And I asked somebody, I said, what's that long line about? He said, you don't know? They're recruiting for policemen today. And I slipped in the line. <laughs> <laughs> had you, had the, had the notion of being a police officer been in your head before then? Or was it simply, wow, this is the best opportunity I've heard for a while? What, what made you go ahead and just simply get online? Well, there was no notion. It's just that people, the amount of people there, and some people I knew, yeah. some guys I knew, they were in a line. So I went in a line. Yeah, yeah, okay. They, they were selecting. <laughs> and I always say chances. My life is about chances. Yeah. I slipped in the line, and, but I'm now I'm late for work too. I am late for work, but I'm taking a chance. Okay. And... And the nice thing about it, Rich, is you supposed to be, your chest supposed to be thirty-four inches. My chest was thirty-three. I was small. Yeah. But when I reached up on the line, my turn, the guy pushed me through. He said, "Okay, you push me through," and I said, "I got a break there." And they give everybody a date to go and write the exam, right? right. The entrance exam. I went after two weeks, and I wrote the exam. I'd never forget the number. It was 1,400 and something people took the exam. And they wanted 180 recruits to send in for I, a humble servant, came in 98. 
Never went to college, never went to school. I came 98 in the exile. Huh. I got But I'm still working. <laughs> I, this, I, I'm laughing because I know you, and I know that you would find a way to get through an exam. I, I just know you. I know, you know, and, 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 do, it, and do it cleanly. Do it cleanly, exactly. no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> the, the process goes on, and they are sending out people now to come because you pass the exam to go in to get your physical and different things. Yeah. Saturday morning, I sat by my house. Police jeep pulls up. Sergeant comes out. We are looking for one Keith Alexander. I tell the sergeant, he doesn't live here, sir. I don't know what they come for. I didn't do anything wrong, but I what police asking me for me. Yeah. I say, I don't yeah. know. He doesn't care. My mother was in the back. Mom runs out. I said, what's going on here? The, the sergeant said, we are looking for one Keith Alexander. Mom said, this is Keith. He said, but he just tell me he's not Keith Alexander. He's going to make a good police. Ah. Just so he tells my mother. My mother said, what's going on? And he said, the, the sergeant said, he didn't tell you. He's going to be a police. <laughs> <laughs> You know, every time you've told me that story before, and I and, and that's and I definitely wanted to hear the story again. You you talk about your life being a series of chances, and obviously chances meaning a series of, of constant changes. But the the life of a policeman in Trinidad and Tobago, and you you've given me not too many stories. You uh, you're the type of guy in this, and I expect this of you because of how you are. You're not going to get into the gory details, and I'm sure that there, there probably were a few in the course of time. But I've always been fascinated at the, the, the parts of you that worked best as a policeman are many of those same parts, as far as you're concerned, the stuff that makes you successful in your current profession as a car salesman. And I would add, to say it before you have a chance to, one of the top salesmen in the nation for Honda at this point. Is, is being a good cop and being a good salesman needing the same set of characteristics or something similar? Yes. How? Yes. How does that work? Number one, knowing people, analyzing people. Yeah. Reaching out to people, reach, getting their reaction, you know. Yeah. You, 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 in other words, I could say, yeah, he's rich. Rich comes to the store. Is he, is he a, a real buyer or he's not a buyer? Is this guy a criminal or he's not a criminal? Yeah. You know, you, you, you try to decipher it. Yeah. And 90% um, of the time I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. 90% of the time. And the, the people around in my environment and the sales floor will say, you said it again. You called it again. Yeah. I know a serious buyer because you have to, you, you, you look at people and you just try to get as much as you want to get from them without talking. Because they always tell you, he who speaks first loses. People will so, always tell you, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, 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 reaction, body language, so many different things that you, you could think about to know whether this is an opportunity for me to sell a car 
or is an opportunity for me to tell somebody, look, yeah. why don't you come on? You know, so it's so many different ways. But those one of the easiest ways, analyzing people. Look at their thoughts. Look at them carefully and look at them in their eye. Yeah. So the, the other thing, though, is that I sense you, you genuinely like people. I mean, do, is, is that necessary? A lot of, a lot of, I think a lot of what we think of as car salesmen, that sort of thing, uh, includes people who are just trying to shove something down your throat. I never, ever have had that sensation from you. I do get the sense with you and I and watching you with other people that you really like people. I mean, I, I, is this a necessary, I mean, I, I think I've answered my own question, but I'll ask, let you answer it. Is that a necessary component of being successful in sales? hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. You first, if you don't like you, you can't like people. I can't like you. And one thing about me, Rich, Keith loves Keith. Oh yeah. And, and my motive is when I leave my house in the morning and I jump in my car and I get Park my car, carry down under, and I get in there. I am there to make a successful living. And without you or, or the people who comes into the store, without my customers, I don't have a living. And if I don't like them, then I won't make a living. So I love everybody who walks in here, good, bad, or indifferent. It's a simple equation, isn't it? it, it it's pretty. It it's, it's a straightforward thing. I, yeah. I, I guess what I what I also want to to get from you, and and this is even more of the hope, uh, which I think, as I say, you light up a room wherever you are. People just instantly gravitate to you. You have this way about you. How do you translate where you were in Trinidad? You're back. You're in America. How do you suddenly produce this? this next generation of geniuses. You, 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 uh, the, the, I, I, have to, I have to step back here a little bit. Um, I have interviewed Keith's son, Stefan, uh, twice on, on, on my show, on, on Center Left Radio. Uh, Stefan has two books out there right now. One is called The Jazz of Physics. The other is Fear of a Black Universe. Both have sold wildly well in America and around the world. And uh, Keith, uh, uh, Stefan is, is recognized as one of the premier uh, uh, theoretical physicists uh, in America slash on the planet. And this is the son of the guy we're talking to right now, the former police officer, the, for, the current salesman, uh, car salesman at Tarrytown Honda. And I, again, I just scratch my head, not that it shouldn't be that, you're, that you are the father of Stefan and other very brilliant children, but what, what is the, how, how do you produce a family like this? I, I'm just fascinated by this. It, it's wonderful to see. Well, first, it's the work of God. I am a big, I'm a big believer. And the, another thing is, I never had the opportunity because of the way we were brought up and my life to go to school. Yeah. Never had the opportunity to go to college or university. I am self-thought. Most of my thing is self-thought. Yeah. And I... If ever I should have children, one of my best thing I would I would want to do for them is to educate them. 
give them the best education as I could, if they would take it. The easy part of it is that they wanted it and they took it. And most of it, they went out on their own and they, you know, with all the scholarships and the this and that, and also good family values. I had a lot of support. My mother, you know, my yeah. my uh, my the, their their grandparents, everybody, a lot of support. Yeah, they went out there and they did what they have to do. They, you know, sometimes it was it's it was not e an easy road because it's not an easy thing to have three and four children in university at the same time, and everybody graduated. Everybody, and it was not. And sometimes I would say, sometimes I would stand up. Many times I would stand up in a graduation and I would go in a corner by myself when all the big shebang is going on and everything and the tears will run down my say, Is this me? Yeah. Is that the child? You, you know, because it's real, but it's unreal. Is this what's going on? Is this the children that grew up in the country that went to school in these short khaki pants and these cheap sneakers and things and going with no book bag and the books in their hand and thing? And look at them today. You know, everybody's, you know, they have something hung up on a wall, a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, which is a great, it's, it's great. And I, and sometimes, and one thing I like, humility. I cannot introduce my kids to anybody and say, this is Dr. Alexander, or this is Dr. This one. They get upset with me. Introduce them, this is Stefan, or this is Jerome, or this is Peter. They don't like their... The, their titles, know, the, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the transformation was hard and easy at the same time, but it took hard work. It took hard work because when I had to, if if we had remained in Trinidad, this would not have going to be. This would not happen. No, my obviously mother, not. Yeah, yeah. My mother was living in America. She came here as uh, one of these domestics, servants. And she worked her way up to be a nurse, mom. Yeah. And then she brought, then we came up here and lived with her. And mom helped me a lot with the kids. And she helped, and I drove, and then I had jobs, different jobs in America. I yeah. drove a taxi, I worked in a warehouse. I, 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 I did a stint in a nursing home. And I started to work in the appliance business before I went in the cars. Tops, I worked at PC Richards for about 10, 12 years as their top salesman. Yeah. And then I think, and then I went into the car business. Huh. And all and all hell broke loose in the car. <laughs> <laughs> all hell broke loose in the car business. There's nothing, there was no stopping. Yeah. And age, age does not matter. Age doesn't matter because it's all about, it's all about, do you want it or you don't want it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You do. And, and I look at it this way, in the car business, Rich, if I don't sell you a car, somebody's going to sell it to you. And everybody needs a car. If you yeah, walk into yeah, my yeah, store, yeah, yeah. If, if you walk into my store and it's not a problem you come to sell, then you come to get a car. My job is to give you a car. My without without getting without being too specific i will say this and you mentioned the point about age and doing what you do at a certain age uh, i'm not going to anyone who knows this show i don't talk about my own age i will tell you that keith has got a little 
little tiny bit of additional time on me and is outperforming uh, people who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, okay, for what it's worth and has been recognized accordingly. Uh, the, the, the thing that I also am so aware of with you, and, and as you tell this story about your life and, 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 and watching your kids move from you, I'm aware of how much you transmit, and I think we all transmit of ourselves spiritually into the next generation. We, we, we convey so much of ourselves and I think a lot of times a lot of people are not conscious of that. They think it's only the behavior that, uh, that kids will, will track going forward. I think it's a deeper thing than that. I think it's what we are at our core, at our essence that gets communicated. And in knowing your children and knowing you, uh, that is the most obvious thing for me. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you, and, and, and this is certainly uh, apropos to this time of the year, we're celebrating the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. Does his life uh, mean something to you as a man of color from Trinidad and Tobago and your life story? Is it, a, is it more restricted to the American story or is there something in the life and story of Martin Luther King that you take into your own life and get inspiration from? A lot, a lot. I, I was thinking, you put somebody like Winston Churchill, Queen Elizabeth, Nelson Mandela. Yeah or uh, Golda Meir with Martin Luther King in a room. That's a lot, a lot of power there, Rich. Yeah. A lot of power. Yeah. 94 years, this man would have been 94 years yesterday. Yeah. Imagine if he had lived, you know, for 94 or didn't die so young. He was, only in, his, he was only in his 30s. He was, he was a young man. He was a young man That's when he died. The, the amount of power he would have projected in the life of the world, in the world, not in America. He is known worldwide. We, yeah. It's a big thing. It's a big thing in Trinidad, Martin Luther King. Yeah. It's yeah. a big thing. As one person said, one of the Calypsonians in Trinidad said, you could call him a genius, a messiah, or different things. But he said, he knew Martin was a king of all kings. Uh. The guy, <laughs> the guy is a legend or was a legend. I looked at a show last night and I was telling, I was telling my wife, I said, even his kids and his grandkids, they're all activists. They're so smart. You're talking about, I have produced my, look at Martin Luther King, look at his offsprings. They are so smart, yeah. fearless. He has, he has done a lot, a lot. Not he only for colored people, but for the world. And I look, sometimes you look at, you look at things that is going on about Martin Luther King. You don't only see colored people there. You see people of all different ethnic groups yeah. there. And it's a beautiful thing. He is really, and the guy was a prophet. Yeah. The guy was a prophet. And not, not much as you said again, but if I go to say what I want to say about Mr. King, I was one thing that come to mind. I wish he was still around. Yeah, I wish he was still around. He started such a movement 
and people, people, and some people take it seriously, and some people don't. But that's life. What could we do? We can't do anything about it. But he has done great things, and the great things are still going on because of his legacy. Keith, you are, um, besides being a friend, you are an inspiration. Uh, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know that I've ever said those words to you in quite that way, but the connection you just made between your feelings about your kids and the importance of, and, and, and the joy of being to pass on to your children and watching your kids succeed. And I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone add to the already amazing things that everybody says about Dr. King, his success is reflected in what his children and grandchildren have produced. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that before. And on, on the one hand, we, we always glorify him, and he's made into this almost sometimes bigger-than-life creature, maybe deservedly. But right. he's also a human being, and we judge and we, we, we recognize so much of our success in what we pass on. And, and, and just thank you for that insight. That's, uh, that's something I don't normally hear. And I think it's something we all need to take into account. Once again, it reminds us about what we pass along. We pass along the essence of ourselves. And, and that's so much of what is good and bad about the world. No, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Excellent. Well, um, I want to thank you for being on the show. We, we've talked about this for a while, and uh, th this interview is everything that I imagined it would be. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time we get together to talk about this and, and maybe talk about some more, but this has been... Um, a lovely conversation, uh, and one that now, you know, we, we're sharing with everyone who uh, listens to Center Left Radio, and I, Keith, I appreciate you so much uh, starting off a little earlier than normal, I think, on an average day uh, to do this show with us, and uh, all I can do is uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for being my friend. And I look forward hey, thank to thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. And you have a great day, Richard. Be blessed. Okay, Keith. I'll 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 see you soon. Okay. Have a great day. And with that, a little more jazz.
listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. If, if you were wondering if there is still such a thing as the American dream, please go back and listen to my interview with Keith Alexander from just a few moments ago. It's alive and well. And, and more than that, I, I wish all of you to have friends like, or many friends like, my friend Keith Alexander. Have a great day.